Hi, welcome to What Are the Tax Implications? I'm Ron Scott. I'm Jeff Rosenthal. We are your first call tax advocates here once again to help increase your financial and tax knowledge. On this episode of What Are the Tax Implications? We'll be discussing the following topics. Dependent filing. When you are a dependent on another taxpayer's return, but you make earned or unearned, earned and unearned income, you have to file a tax return. What's the difference? What are the tax implications? Additionally, the Freedom of Information Act, FOIA, uh, F-O-I-A, and why the taxpayer may want to know what the IRS knows about them. And lastly, deferred compensation. You, You received compensation, but it has been deferred, so you're not taxed. We'll look at the treatment for both qualified plans and non-qualified plans on what are the tax implications. Whether you're the CEO of your household or of your business, questions constantly arise regarding the tax consequences of your financial circumstance. First Call Tax Advocates is always here to answer your questions and offer educational background regarding the potential tax implications of your action. Ron and Jeff are your first responders. They are board certified financial and tax professionals with over 60 years of experience. Please visit their website, firstcalltaxadvocates.com. That's firstcalltaxadvocates.com. Learn more about them, explore their resources, and leave a review of your experience. For more urgent matters, please call them toll free at 833-568-8999. That's 833-568-8999. The topics and responses discussed here are intended for general education. Our discussions are not intended to give you advice on your specific situation. We would advise you to seek advice from a competent and licensed professional. Tax law is always evolving and our discussions are based on the law existing to date. Our first caller is Taylor from Marlborough, New Jersey. Taylor is 18 years old and wants to know, does she have to file a tax return? And what are the tax implications since she is a dependent on her parents' return, Jeff? Does she have to file a tax return? If she has taxable income, the answer is yes. What if she does not have earned income, but maybe interest from her bank account? Interest or investments, uh, if that's over the filing requirement, yes, it's taxable. If it's below the filing requirement, no, it's not necessarily taxable because a tax return is not required. And some parents ask, well, should I just add that to my income? And my answer to that is, why would you want to do that? Mm. Well, the reality is Taylor works. She's going to school and she's working. And she has, you know, money has been put away for her through the years in a, in a bank account. It's a custodial account that her parents have for her. But, you know, she's starting to express a little um, independence. She, you know, she actually used the word emancipation. But for now, let's talk about the responsibilities when filing a tax return if you are a dependent. So some of the rules, Jeff, the parents are claiming 
Taylor as a dependent, but you don't get anything for that, right? There's no exemption presently for that, right? They've done away with that on the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, right? right? And, you know, you. so what's the benefit of having a child who's 18 from a tax standpoint? <laughs> um, and we are saying dependent, not defendant. Uh, little, account, little accounting joke there. Um, you know, the 18-year-old raises some other interesting questions apart from the tax returns. If the child is going to college, should the child not be a dependent and, and be independent for financial aid and other things? There are other considerations that are not necessarily tax considerations, but makes for a big difference on the end result. So Taylor just graduated high school and she has no intention of going to college. Um, she wants to get a better paying full-time job, and she wants to move out. There again, her independence. But she wants to know, um, what uh, what benefits is it for her to file a tax return? And why can't her parents just pay the tax? <laughs> so, so, usually, uh, in my experience over the 48 years, um, the a uh, teenager getting ready for the rest of the world who has a part-time job, um, a small investment income, files a uh, dependent tax return. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, usually the refund goes to the child. And if there's a balance due, mommy, daddy, ATM machines are the ones picking up the bill on that. So Taylor's situation also includes that unearned income we talked about. And there's some special rules with unearned income. Now, years ago, um, income tax shifting was done where parents moved money into the names of their children because the children were taxed at a lower tax rate because they didn't have all of that earned income. So the rules with regard to unearned income fall under the term kitty tax. Basically, what this means is the first $2,200 of unearned income is taxed at the child's rate. The next dollar above 2200 and everything thereafter is taxed at the parent's rate. Now, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act for a couple of years there kind of got you know, stuck in the taxed at the estate and trusts rate. Let's was, clarify that a little bit. We are talking about the 2200 It's the unearned income. So unearned. the part-time job is not part of this, this particular part of Correct. the discussion. Correct. The part-time job, that's earned income. Okay. They filing the tax with regard to the earned income and then including the unearned income makes that uh, that tax software quite valuable how they're able to organize those numbers but for the unearned uh, unearned income the first 2200 is at the child's rate anything above that is at the parents rate now when we bring in earned income jeff there uh, of course is um, the opportunity for and it's earned and unearned for a some type of a standard deduction right the dependent standard deduction. And what is the rule for 2020 on that? So the normal rates now for the dependent is $1,100. And there's an even more special rule with the earned income. Why don't you take that right. one? Right. The, uh, the, the earned income, the deduction is the greater of um, $1,100 or earned income plus $350. Up to a maximum of the single 
you know, the single filer deduction of 12400 So what we're telling you is it seems like a relatively simple situation. It may not be complicated. We're not sending a spaceship to, to the moon, but uh, it's certainly not as simple as one would think it is. So Taylor, work with your tax preparation professional. That may be your parents' tax pro. But it's time to start thinking about, and, and we're glad that you're asking these good questions at a young age. And oftentimes we see that that emerging child can't wait and has no patience and goes ahead and files without consulting their parent and doesn't put on the tax return, doesn't market that they're dependent on their tax, uh, on their parents' tax return. And that creates all kinds of chaos for when the parents are ready to file the tax return. So I know you're young. I know you think you have all of the answers. I know you want to help out, but maybe go a little bit slower and get mom and dad involved. Yeah, Taylor, you're reconciled with mom and dad and congratulations on your graduation. Good luck, Taylor. Our next caller is Chuck from Chesapeake. And Chuck is asking a vague kind of question. He wants to know what people know about him. You know, what, what do you know about me? What do you know? Well, specifically the IRS, Jeff, here's what happened. He received a letter from the IRS just asking him to confirm his address. So if he responds to the IRS, what are the tax implications? Hmm. Very interesting question, Chuck. Um, so we're very good at reading in between the lines, and we can speculate as to why you're saying this, Chuck. So my gut instinct is um, it could be because they want to send you the stimulus check, but I don't really think so. Uh, more likely, there are some outstanding tax issues, and they don't have a, a accurate address for you, so they sent out a giant fishing net to figure out your address, so they know where to send the additional correspondence for. So what ended up happening here, Jeff, was Chuck was trying to... Is there a way that he could find out maybe preemptively or proactively what does the IRS know about me? That's what he wants to know. Does the IRS have stuff? Do they have a way to find out stuff? And can Chuck find out what the IRS found out? Very interesting questions. So you can go online to irs.gov. You can ask for a income and wage transcript for the years involved, and you would see what has been reported to the government. That sort of suggests that you didn't necessarily report your income or report all of your income. You can also request something from FOIA.gov, F-O-I-A.gov, the administrative file at the IRS, and you're going to tell them that you need to tell them a reason why you want this, fi this file, and that's to help you file your tax return. But it'll give you a pretty good narrative of what they know behind the scenes in addition to the wage and income statement, uh, but it won't tell you if there's criminal action pending. So, you know, I'm reading between the lines here that there's more to the, your question. So FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, and you do not need an advocate. You can do it yourself. You do not need a representative when you're just asking, hey, what do you know about me? It's kind of like uh, discovery when there's a lawsuit. Right. Each side is supposed to share what they know about the other side. 
Very similar to that. Now, there are many things that you can request FOIA for, but in this particular case, the, the broadest one that you should ask for is the administrative file. And that'll give you, we looked at one last week and uh, surprisingly, <laughs> it had amazing information. It had, a lot it, had of information. it had phone calls from me to the government representing the client. It had discussion about what we talked about, what I submitted, what I faxed, what, what, what the client owned. Uh, and where the property was, the cars, the houses, the the motorhomes, the you know, it was it was pretty involved, and it was about sixty pages, if I remember correctly. Yeah, there was a lot of pages there looking at that document. But again, you know, this is information that people, whether it be at the the IRS or at the state level. You know, they're looking at each word. <laughs> you know, we don't skim through it. Read it when you get the information. So, Chuck, again, the we, we are not giving you advice here. We are not saying answer that letter, don't answer that letter. We think that you need some professional guidance. So we're just trying to educate you on different places you can go. The IRS.gov, look at your, your income and wage transcript, get some information there. Um, use FOIA. Freedom of Information Act to maybe learn more. And again, you know, uh, make sure you get sleep though, Chuck. Don't lose sleep over this. But you you may want to talk to a professional to help you out and give you the right guidance. What you don't want to do is you do not want to represent yourself. Okay? You can gain information about yourself, but be careful that you don't represent yourself because that's, and we talked about that on a prior episode. Good luck, Chuck. Remember, the First Call Tax Advocates, Ron and Jeff, are your first responders. Board-certified professionals, over 60 years of experience. Visit their website, firstcalltaxadvocates.com. That's firstcalltaxadvocates.com. Learn more, explore, and leave a review. For more urgent matters, call them toll-free at 833-568-8999. That's 833-568-8999. And for you subscribers, we offer a complimentary consultation to discuss your tax matter. Our next caller is Brett from Breezy Point. Brett's a firefighter, Jeff, and he's been on the job for a good number of years. He's a believer in uh, the, the wonders of the benefits of the city of New York. And he's taking advantage for all, with all of the retirement benefits. And he's funding his Section 457 plan um, as much as he can, as much as he can afford. So he just wants to know in doing a little planning, when he wants to start taking money out of his deferred comp, Jeff, what are the tax implications? Great questions. Thank you for your service, Brett. And uh, I know Breezy Point got hammered in Superstorm Sandy, so hopefully you've recovered from all of that. Deferred comp is um, what Mother Nature taught the animals to do, squirrel away things for the future. Uh, it's deferred, so you're not paying the taxes on it now, but that doesn't mean it's tax-free. It's growing while it's deferred. And um, uh, because you're not losing a little bit to taxes each year, it should be growing 
more and faster that way. So the Section 457 plans are for government workers, for uh, those in tax-exempt organizations. And there's a, a lot of technical rules around the Section 457. But let's just kind of take a moment and organize ourselves. There are other qualified plans that have deferred compensation, like 401k plans, right? Very, very popular in the private sector where employees can defer their compensation. And 403Bs for the not-for-profit people. So it could be colleges or, or a number of other hospitals. hospitals. Uh, religious organizations have 403Bs, and they could be called a qualified plan under a certain set of circumstances, but they all, all are doing the same thing, right, Jeff? People are putting money away that they would have been taxed on today. They're putting it away it will be taxed tomorrow. So what are the tax implications of being taxed tomorrow? Well, the theory is that when you retire, you'll be in a lower tax bracket than you are today and you'll achieve some tax savings and the money is growing without paying taxes along the way uh, and it's growing at a faster rate because you haven't taken a piece of it out to pay the taxes. So, you know, Jeff, I, I just recently uh, put my crystal ball in for an upgrade so that I'd be able to look into the future with more accuracy. Um, I'm told probably by the end of the month, I'll have it back. Uh, and maybe my crystal ball will, will be able to tell me what are the tax rates going to be in the future? My crystal ball doesn't work. It hasn't worked in years. We don't know. Yeah, I mean, we have no idea. This is my 48th tax season. Taxes go up. Taxes come down. Um, likely he here, because of the pandemic, taxes may go down for a short time and then go up to help pay for all of the money that the government has had to put into circulation. But, you know, would I bet on a reduction or a tax increase? No, I would not bet on either. Exactly. Don't waste your money on betting on, you know, what's going to happen in the future. But let's just clean it up a little bit. A 401k or a 403b is deferred compensation. When you take the money out, when you, when you make a withdrawal of the money, it's taxed as ordinary income, whatever is considered the gains. 457, same thing. When you take money out, you will be taxed on the gains. But age matters. For the 401k and the 403b, if you take a withdrawal before attaining age 59 and a half, you will be penalized. Section 72 has, a, has some punishments, Jeff. What's the penalty? Penalty is 10% plus the income tax. So yes, now there is a, just as tax law would have it, there's an exception to that, that if you say retire at 50 or 55, and that's the earliest age of, of contractual retirement, you won't pay the penalty on that money. Ah, Age 55 is the legislated birthday. If you keep the money in the qualified plan and you withdraw money from that qualified plan, you will not be penalized. Correct. So the 457, though, you have to have separated from service. Doesn't matter what your age is. And you could draw money out having only to pay the ordinary income tax, not being concerned about the penalty a special section of the code for section 457. So the non-qualified plans will probably save for another day because that's not what Brett really wants to talk about. 
the non-qualified deferred, non-qualified deferred compensation plans are ideal for people who make more than the qualified plan limit of $285,000. We're going to save that for another episode. Hey, Brad, again, thanks for your service. Stay safe. Good luck, Brett. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. You probably have additional questions, don't you? We are your first call. Remember, everyone's situation is unique, but we should be your first call. We are your first responders. The 911 operator doesn't call you. Please call us toll-free at 833-568-8999. Again, 833-568-8999. And visit our website at firstcalltaxadvocates.com. We'd love to know what you've learned today. So please leave a review on our website. We have attempted to appeal to a broad audience, but we want to help everyone if we can. On our next episode of What are the Tax Implications? We'll be talking about the following topics. Income inflation for a loan. When a taxpayer had previously not included all of his income and now includes it so that he can qualify for a mortgage or another type of loan. Additionally, we'll be talking about the below market rate loan. When a family member loans money to another family member with no documentation and no interest. Yeah, you know, give it back to me when you can. And what are the tax implications? And lastly, we'll be discussing the tax implications of group benefits like group life insurance and group disability income insurance.